Welcome to the Tomball Bible Church Podcast. We exist to glorify Jesus Christ by making mature disciples to reach the nations. To find out more, visit us online at tomballbible.church. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Student Center here at TBC. Uh, it's been interesting uh, to observe both services. I think the big question coming into this space is, where am I going to sit? And then uh, for others of you, as you're kind of evaluating, this is where I would normally sit, but someone's in my seat. And so thank you for being washed by the blood of Christ and uh, covered by His grace and mercy, and that you're so willing to extend His mercy to others, even those who just, they don't know what they've done to you. Uh, by taking your seat. Uh, Thank you for your patience with us and for making this adjustment to how you worship on Sunday. Uh, I will tell you though that bricks and mortar, speakers and lights, is not what defines this church. In fact, the church is a group of people who have placed their faith and their trust in Jesus as their Savior and then has been united together by the Spirit of God. That's going to be the shout this morning. That the Spirit of God unites the people of God. So we're going to do this little experiment. This section here and here. You guys are going to say the Spirit of God. The people in the back are going to say unites. And you're going to say the people of God. So the Spirit of God... Excellent. That is the main point of this lesson this morning from Scripture. The Spirit of God unites the people of God. I'm just giving it to you at the front. and It's going to be up to you if you decide to stay in the room or if you're like, oh, good, short sermon. That was good. Uh, because we're not going to spend a lot of time this morning on should we maintain the unity of the Spirit? Because the answer is intuitive. Should we maintain the unity of the Spirit as a church? Answer, yes. Why? Because the Spirit of God unites the people of God. So more of our emphasis is going to be on how. How can we, as a church, maintain the unity of the Spirit that God has brought to us? This is an important matter for us, not only because... We are a local church here, but because we're in partnership with other local churches. In fact, I just wanted to make mention that we're being really served well today by a couple of members from Redeemer Church. And so Chris Green is operating in the back there. He's in the yellow shirt there. And then Courtney uh, is somewhere in our space. She's been laying it down with some sick beats in the drum cage. But Chris, God has entrusted him with with special expertise in, in terms of sound and lighting and all things tech arts. And so he's a blessing to many of the churches that are in this greater Houston area. And so thank you, brother, for making your time and your, uh, uh, yeah, making your time available to be with us. It's just demonstration that he's not all about Redeemer Church. And it's a demonstration that we need help and we can't just do things on our own. And we're in partnership together. Going on the last three years, a group of people that I did not necessarily assume 
I would be a part of, began to meet together. And that is the group of, a group of like-minded pastors in our area. We meet the second Tuesday of every month. We get together for prayer together. And there's a lot of things that could keep us distant and apart. Some of the men pastor house churches. Others pastor denominational churches. Others pastor non-denominational churches. We have distinctives around everything we do as a church. There are distinctives about how we worship, how we practice baptism, how we do communion, how often we take it. All of these are distinctives of the churches. And if we allowed it to, we could let those distinctives hold us apart. But as it stands, every month I know there's an outlet for me to gather with men who are convinced that the Spirit of God unites the people of God and that we share more in common than what keeps us distinct. Also, it's another environment that I can just walk into and everyone in the room knows the challenges of leading a church. A word doesn't even have to be exchanged and they know the privilege it is, the mantle it is, the responsibility it is, at sometimes the problem that it can be to pastor local churches. And so it's a unique environment that God has provided and built up. When we walk in, it's just a sense of unity. It's like, it's palpable. I want that. I want God to protect that. I want God to build and foster that. I want there to be initiatives that spill out of that unified time of prayer into partnerships that we share in together as churches. I'm thrilled that Chris worships with Kevin Bowles and Lawson and the team over at Redeemer Church because they're chasing Christ. They're making much of Jesus. And we're aiming to do the same. And so we can recognize quite easily that we should maintain the unity of the Spirit. Our challenge is, is how we can do that because the truth for us is, is that our preferences end up dividing us. There are ways that I prefer to do things. There are ways that other pastors prefer to do things. And it can get in the way. It certainly got in the way in the early church. It got in the way in a huge way. Because God was changing the paradigms of, of what defined who the people of God were to be. The Jewish people enjoyed a special identity as the people of God. They bore a physical mark. The men bore on a, a physical mark on their body of circumcision that set them apart from others. And they enjoyed that privilege of being the unique chosen people of God. And others who were not Jewish could come into their family provided they did what? That they got circumcised if they were men and that they practiced the Old Testament law regulations. Well, what's going to happen when God no longer requires those distinctions? What will happen? You know, it's interesting. There's a documentary being played right now called Hard Knocks, and it's an NFL documentary. It's quite crass, but I've been paying attention because it's around the New York Jets, and I don't like the New York Jets. I'm not a, I have no connection to the New York Jets, but what did they do this offseason? They went and signed Aaron Rodgers, 
a first ballot Hall of Fame championship quarterback who's one of the best quarterbacks in the history of the game, and they brought him onto their team. And the story has been compelling because there is a buzz around that organization and a sense of unity and hope because one who's been there, one who's proven, one who's done it, is leading the charge. Game one, and he ruptured his, t- his Achilles tendon. He's out. He won't be another down this year. Major questions will be, at his age, what will the capacity be even beyond this season? This draws me to lean in even closer because all of it, it seemed all of the unity was around this man. His skill set, his leadership, his experience. Will they stay united? I don't know. You know, <laughs> our preferences do get in the way. And it's ironic because we should be the most unified group of people on the planet. Our unity is not based on Aaron Rodgers or David Hinkle or any person. God has united His people by His Spirit. The Spirit of God unites the people of God. Therefore, we ought to be the most unified place. But we get in each other's way. We get twisted all all kinds of ways. Especially when the way that we prefer things to be doesn't go the right way. And I believe, though, we can maintain the unity of the Spirit. And we're going to see some core beliefs that I believe can drive our behavior with one another. The Spirit of God is the one who unites us, but it does fall to us within the church to maintain His unity. Now, I think this is not only going to have application for the church and churches, but also for your families, for your marriages, your friendships. I think we're going to find some help today. (laughs) The early church certainly needed it. Why don't you turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 11. So we're in Acts chapter 11. I'm going to read through the passage and then we're going to move forward into seeing how we can maintain the unity of the Spirit this morning. Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. It says, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, And in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey, reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. I said, By no means. Lord, nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. 
These six brothers also accompanied me, and they entered, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who's called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. So I already gave you the central truth. The Spirit of God unites the people of God. And this is cut and dry because this is the fifth time this vision has been repeated in two chapters. Five times we've been told, Peter fell in a trance. He saw a sheet full of all kinds of animals and food. He was told to kill it. It represented that God had changed the paradigm. There was no longer going to be a distinction between what was clean and unclean, particularly when it came to people. Five times over, this has been shared. Why? I think it's because this was an absolute shift of everything the Jewish people had known. Their issue wasn't so much that Gentiles could have faith in Christ, they, although many might have had issue with that. But at the time, their early understanding of Christianity was you needed to receive and place your faith and trust in Jesus as the Messiah as you also faithfully lived out according to the Old Testament customs and teachings. That's how they first understood what the kingdom of God was about. Trust in the Messiah as you live out the practices that make us distinct. And here's Peter trampling on everything they stood on. That was a problem. And I want you to notice that according to the passage, the word got to Jerusalem before Peter showed up. That means someone carried this message about what God had done and brought it to the apostles in Jerusalem. What we don't know is we don't know if that was a positive report, a negative report, or a neutral report. But what we do know was that it was received in what kind of way? Positive or negative? Oh, man. They couldn't believe what they heard. How dare this man trample on everything that they had known and stood on. The audacity. So, they behaved out of their belief about him. And the passage says that they criticized him. They criticized him before even having the chance to speak, which led Peter to make his defense, this fifth account of what God had done. And the main point that Peter made in his defense that they had no argument for was that the Gentiles had received the gospel and the Holy Spirit in the same manner which the Jews themselves had. 
It was a work that God had done. It was not an agenda that he had. He didn't point to himself as his own defense. He just made it plain to them, this is what God did in their midst. And it was the very thing that God did in our own. They came to understand that God had united his people through the Spirit. There was no need to impose Jewish religious practices on their new Gentile brothers any longer. And the new covenant that was ushered in by Christ is marked by the truth of this passage, that the Spirit of God is what unites the people of God. Not a physical sign on their bodies, and certainly not the regulations that that made them distinct from the Old Testament. It's simple and straightforward. (laughs) But it is hard to maintain. In the words of Lee Corso on college game day, not so fast, my friends. So what's really our problem? I think our problem is is that while we share in this unity together through the Spirit, we allow our preferences to divide us. We allow our preferences to divide us. Do you think this is true? Do you think that you and I allow our preferences to get in each other's way? Think about your family. I grew up in a family where you took a towel, Held it long ways, corner to corner, single fold. I had no idea it was a matter of doctrine. That it's take a towel, vertically, corner to corner, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. (laughs) Who knew that tri-folding towels, one towel in three folds. I had no idea. I know now. I mean, I'm not surprised just how disunifying it is when someone asks the question, hey, where are we going to go eat? Isn't that the worst? You ask the question, everybody's hungry. That's bad. Hungry hinkles is not a good scene. Everybody's hungry. The question gets asked. And it ends up with someone just saying, fine. Which, that's great. Our preferences do get in our way. But the matters get worse when it's not just the preferences, but then we start assigning motives to the person or to the people. You know, it happens like this all the time in the office. We have a coffee Keurig. And I think it's just good common practice to fill the Keurig back up with water. You know, after you get your cup of coffee. But somebody in our office, I think, hates the rest of us. Because I'll often go to the coffee pot and I'll just be like, Trey! I assume it's him. I, I don't know. Assigning motives is a surefire way to bring disunity. And we get information gaps when, there's a, when our expectations or our preferences aren't met. And we'll fill that gap so easily with what we think is true. And because we think it's true, that guides our behavior. We have a belief that moves our behavior. Think about your marriage. Think about your friendships. All I wanted was a cup of coffee, so it's hard to ask. 
So our preferences divide us. We can assign motives. And then thirdly, it can be difficult to reconcile or to come back into unity because it's hard to identify the root issue. I mean, is the problem really the restaurant? Or is the problem really the towels? Or is the problem really the coffee maker? It's what we... It's, it's, there's something at root. And it, and it can feel like when something is disunified that the whole, whole, whole thing is. And we can go there and act out of that thing. Out of that mindset. And I came across the single most helpful definition of unity that, uh, that I've come across so far. It's written in a book called Sticky Teams by an author named Larry Osborne. And he defines unity in three categories or three areas. And what I think we can do is we can take these areas and attach a core belief to each area. That if we hold this belief, it'll drive a behavior that can maintain unity in our church, between churches, and even in our homes and our friendships. Because it's a transferable concept. So here are the three areas of unity uh, presented by Larry Osborne. First of all, there's what we believe or doctrinal unity. Secondly, it's how we do what we do. It's our philosophical unity. Here's what we believe the truth is, and here's how we apply it. That's our philosophy. There's doctrinal unity, philosophical unity, and then there's relational unity. This is how we're going to trust one another. How do we go about trusting each other, giving one another the benefit of the doubt? I find this extremely helpful to diagnose well, what, kind, what has been disrupted here. Is this an issue of the truth? Is this an issue of a method? Or is this an issue of, uh, of a broken, fractured relationship? Maybe a hurt or a betrayal or a misunderstanding. Often, it's combinations of the three. You know, think about a book that most, many of you might have read called Growing Kids God's Way. What a title of a book. I mean, whose way is it after all? According to the title, this is doctrine. If you don't raise your kids and discipline your kids according to the method that's outlined in this book, you don't disagree with the author, you, digress, you disagree with God Himself. Because it's growing kids God's way. So then you cross paths with someone who doesn't grow kids God's way. And the, you enter into this kind of value conflict of, of the way that someone chooses to discipline their child. And you see them interacting and you're like, well, that is not God's way. And division can happen. Disunity can happen. So I think these are very helpful categories to help diagnose and identify what's, what's happening. So let's take the first one. What we believe. Doctrinal unity. And I, and I do think that this one is fairly straightforward. We talk about this quite a bit as a church. That as a church, we hold essential doctrines over our distinctives. And that really is the core belief. We will hold essentials over our distinctives. If you go online to our website and you see what we believe, you're going to see seven categories of doctrinal beliefs. These are our 
essentials. If you're going to be a member at Tomba Bible Church, you've got to say amen to those seven areas. This is essential for us. You can see our fuller, more developed doctrinal statement online, and there's 14 areas of distinctives about Tombow Bible Church. Reveals our history, our theology, how we see different theological matters. But there's seven essentials. And we want to hold the essentials over the distinctives. If I didn't do that, I'd never enter the room with those other pastors. But there's an agreement about who our God is, who Christ is, who the Holy Spirit is. This, the Scriptures as revealed, the state of humanity and sin, the, the salvation comes through only one man, one name, one God, Jesus Christ. And when it comes to the end, He's coming back. And to all that we say, Amen. So, can we church... Hold this belief that we will hold essentials over distinctives. I think we can. If you get into a life group, you're going to run into, run into matters where maybe you don't see eye to eye. And who you have a choice to make. You have to determine, is this an area of distinctive or an area of essential? And then behave out of the belief of holding the essential over the distinctive. But I think this next area is the primary area where unity is threatened. And it's how we do what we do. Our philosophical unity. The core belief I believe we can hold is we will hold values over methods. We will hold values over methods. The towels need to be folded. In three folds. I've learned that. How do we do what we do as a church? How we do what we do as a church really matters. And every church would agree that we are here to glorify Jesus Christ by making mature disciples to reach the nations. But how each church is going to do that is going to be very unique. Very distinct. It will be influenced by where we live. The people that, the culture that we're in. And we're going to hold values over methods because if we don't and someone messes with your method and takes your seat, then disunity will come. Methods change. They change with seasons, situations, circumstances, people, leadership. Change is inevitable and methods will change we've got to hold on to values over methods when we're in a season of change in church we are in a season of change in fact we've been in a season of change i just want to highlight this could be risky but since 2020 here's some here's what's been experienced here at tbc just in personnel alone first of all a new pastor came in 2020 Following that, three elders stepped off the team and one new elder was brought on. All of that was done. I have it in parentheses. This was healthy and supported. Each decision was, there was no confrontation of an issue. It was a healthy thing. This change. Nine staff transitions since 2020. 
a student pastor, kids director, kids ministry assistant, setup coordinator, communications uh, setup coordinator, three times communications assistant, nursery coordinator, and student ministry admin. You think it's possible, church, some methods have changed? How can it not change? Look at the scope of leadership and how that has changed. So here's some things that have happened since 2020. Number one, live-streamed worship is now a thing. Number two, we we have a different guest experience with Parking spaces. We took three of your parking spaces away and gave them to a first-time guest. Signs and check-in and welcome gift, etc. We've, we've made a number of change in method with security and safety measures. We've changed the student ministry scope and sequence, the kids' ministry scope and sequence, and there's a worship center improvement project. Church, we've been in a season of change. And we'd be fooling ourselves if we didn't think that this is going to impact us. Now, when we experience a change and, and the sense of loss is not that great, we, we adapt fairly easily. Three spaces of prime real estate gone is not that big of a change when there's hundred other options to pick from. But... Securing the building with an alarm system and video cameras, implementing an on-site uniformed officer, changing all the locks, adding security doors for the nursery and kids building, putting in exit doors in the worship center, requiring ministry-safe training for all kids and student ministry volunteers has created much more of a sense of loss than a couple of parking spots. Tomball Bible Church? It's Alcatraz Bible Church. Was there a value of keeping children safe before these methods changed? Yeah. Did we have a way out of our worship center in case of an emergency? Especially an emergency in our lobby? Did we have a way out? We did not. Did we feel that it was a value that we wanted to deepen to protect our children by making it a little more difficult for someone who does not need to be around children to gain access to them. Yes, we did. Our values guide us and methods change. And we're not always going to make the right changes at the right time. And you've got to work through that. Hopefully the changes that we're making with the worship center will be a blessing to our church. But there will be some kind of loss. For some of you, you might attach that you might have deeply held differences about how the things sound. And you're thinking that when we go in there, all your sound preferences will come true. I don't know. Maybe so. So how are we going to behave? We're going to behave out of what we believe. So I want us to hold values over methods because our relationships with one another are really at stake. And this is this third area of unity, how we trust one another. This is about relational unity. And we will hold curiosity over criticism. Curiosity over criticism. 
Could you imagine with me what it would have been like for Peter to walk up into Jerusalem with his six eyewitness friends and instead of being met with criticism of you trampled on the law with what has happened? We've heard something that we can't even wrap our mind around. Peter, can you tell us what has happened? He would be like, guys, let me tell you. But instead, in the information gap, a judgment was made, and they behaved out of that. They were instantly critical, with no benefit of the doubt. How divisive will that be if we behave in that same way in our marriages, in our friendships, in our church? We will hold curiosity over criticism. And this means we're making a commitment to discover why before we make a judgment on the what. The what for the apostles was clear. God's law had been violated. And that's a serious matter. We're not talking about a distinctive. We're talking about an essential. And they certainly didn't take the time to ask why or start from a basis of trust with Peter. And this isn't to say that people are above criticism. Mistakes get made. Sin happens in our lives. And there are circumstances which require a critical response, particularly when you know what the truth is. And what, this, what these beliefs will do for us in maintaining unity, it will slow us down when we experience an unmet preference. It'll slow us down and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is this essential or is this distinct? Wait, wait, wait. What is the value for us? And what's this method? And then I wonder why someone I have trusted would speak this way or not buy bluebell ice cream. When I met with the pastor's prayer group this week, I walked in having a preference for how that time goes. I've been a part of a number of prayer meetings where more time is spent catching up and talking than actual praying together. But each host church determines how the time will go. And so I here I walk in with my preference. And we don't immediately open this, the scriptures. And we don't immediately go into prayer. And I can just feel it rising up in me. It's starting to bubble up of just like, I don't know that they even know what the Bible is in this church. I don't know that they, that they have the same value I do, that we would just sit in the presence of the Lord together. Just feeling very humble in that moment. And the host of our time, he started with two questions. He said, what does this time hold for you? That's a value. And the men just went around the room expressing out loud why this has become unmissable. He then said, what makes you distinct? He didn't know what I was preaching on. And we went around the room and we talked about what's our background, our churches, our denomination, our practice of worship, our practice of prayer. And we just kind of sat in recognition of we are very distinct, aren't we? 
yet we're together. And then we prayed. It was galvanizing. And I was sitting there as a potential threat because my preference wasn't happening. And I was tempted not to be curious. I wonder where he's going to take it. Has he not sat in our prayer times together? And what ended up was just a very galvanizing, unifying time together. I want that. It's like a buzz in the room. Our call to action this morning is to behave from better beliefs. It's better to believe essentials over distinctives. It's better to believe values over methods. It's better to believe curiosity over criticism. And if we can cling to those, our behavior will be one that's more reflective of the vision that's given for us in Ephesians chapter 4, 1 to 6. I'd like to ask that you would read this out loud with me. Because as we read it, I want you to pay attention to what it's required from us to hold and to live out these core beliefs and that we have the Spirit's help to do so. Would you read this out loud with me? I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Oh, that we would look like how we sound when we speak the Word of God together. Even though some of you, humility instead of humility, work on that um, for the future. I want to walk in unity, don't you? We should be the most united group of people on the planet because the Spirit of God unites the people of God. And we can do this by holding on to better beliefs about what we believe, how we do what we do, and how we trust each other. Thanks for listening. To find out more, visit us online at tombaubible.church.